0: It's Amber Bradley, your host for the unscripted side of LP. It's Talk LP Podcast Time. It's Talk LP Podcast Time. Welcome to it. It's Amber Bradley, your host for your most interesting 20 or 30 minutes, we don't know, time that you have this week because we have a special guest, Ken Pesher, Vice President Asset Protection for Dollar General. What is up?
1: What's up, Amber? Thanks for me <laughs> here today.
0: Yeah, man. Thanks for taking time out. You guys, I don't know. Most people probably haven't heard of you. You're a tiny little chain that <laughs> doesn't get much attention. So <laughs> so Dollar General, right? Everyone thinks it's is like the behemoth, right? You have a bazillion stores. But I want to dive into a couple things, hopefully, that aren't too traditional, or that people typically know about large scale, kind of small footprint, like retail slash grocery slash. I mean, are you a busy guy? This is insane.
1: Yeah, so there's <laughs> on every day, just like there is in, in all other retailers across the country, for sure.
0: Okay, so um, tell us a little bit about your background because I know you know you've got kind of you're a numbers guy. I think everybody speaks super highly of your business acumen and what you bring to the asset protection realm. Um, certainly not just an a internal theft catch them guy. You're kind of on the other side, bringing kind of the whole the whole accounting metric to it. So tell us a little bit about your background and then how long you've been with DG.
1: Sure. So I've been with DG uh, just over 10 years now. Um, and so my background really um, is actually not AP. Um, So I started out in operations, um, started out actually running stores um, way back in the day when I graduated college and uh, ran stores for a bit. um, Again, went into a corporate office, um, took on a merchandising role, um, and then have kind of moved between operations and merchandising. I did some consulting work for a couple of years, um, and so really came to DG with that background um, and uh, landed in a position to kind of use those analytics and and that experience, to really be kind of the um, data analytics behind the scenes of Shrink. To you know, so if you think of kind of an analytics engine driving the field action, um, I came to DG as kind of that analytics side. Um, and so my my background is a little bit different uh, from some others in the in the sense that you know I didn't grow up um, you know kind of chasing shoplifters and, and things like that. It was it was more business oriented. Um, and so as I've kind of progressed at DG, um, a big part of what I've tried to instill um, in the business and in our approach as an AP team is all of the stuff that goes on uh, before you get to the store, right? So I kind of look at it as twofold is, you know, there's a lot of upstream decisions that we can work together with other cross-functional areas, um, whether it be operations, merchandising, supply chain, um, you have know, different groups here that we can make one good decision upstream that saves 17,000 plus stores from having to make the best bad decision downstream. Um and, and really working from that perspective with what's the overall right answer for the business, right? So there sometimes there's going to be a right answer for strength, it's not going to be good for sales, or vice versa. At the end of the day, we're all here to drive the bottom line, right? So um, let's talk about bottom line earnings and, and how do we um, grow EBITDA, regardless of kind of what the puts and takes are along the way, just kind of have an understanding of those things. And then um, on the field side, I would say, you know, big focus there is around again, with 17,000 plus stores, um, you know, there's never going to be enough people to go around um, necessarily to deal with that fleet. So how do you kind of get smart about managing the exceptions and managing the outliers and really doing a lot of that work upstream to be able to allow the the folks in the field to kind of um, be much much more action-based in terms of, I need to go to this store to, do, to talk to this person about this thing. And when I find out something, here's what I do to fix it, right? So there's a lot of kind of, prescriptive analytics and um, things like that that work here that kind of drive all that action downstream.
0: We talk about needle in a haystack though, right? I mean, because if you guys have 17,000 stores, I mean, that is like a Titanic, right? I mean, that is not, you make a decision today and it's downstream and all of your stores tomorrow, right? That's like turning a massive ship, right? So. So talk a little bit about that. I mean, data, 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 right? We hear that, but what are some things that you are like without getting too specific, right? Giving up the, the gold, as it were, but you know, um, how do you find that needle in a huge haystack and then also get it to make an impact in a pretty fast-paced way because that's what your, that's what the street is demanding, that it is like instant. When you're trying to turn 17,000 stores on a dime?
1: Yeah, so a couple things there, Amber. Kind of to start with the the big ship to turn, you know, being the Titanic. Yes, that's all true, and it was funny. One of the first lessons I learned when I got to DG was that um, sometimes you can make things happen across a large swath of stores and people without really realizing that what you're doing right you kind of make an make an off-handed comment or say something in a meeting that is taken literally and next thing you know you have a bunch of people running left when that wasn't necessarily what you wanted to happen you were just kind of talking out loud um but that said you know everyone out there um has an exception-based reporting system right that's kind of the norm today um and so we have one as well that we're continuously working on tweaking you know, what are the, the things that we're looking for? What are the, the thresholds? Who are the outliers? Um, and really what it boils down to for us is we're chasing the top 1%, right? And and if we can control the top 1% um, of our employees and, and the behaviors and things like that, um, then then that gets us to a good place. And when I say control, that doesn't necessarily mean it's always an integrity issue, right? Sometimes it is, but there's a lot of training and coaching and things like that that go on that could be just simple um. Uh, knowledge gaps, right, that as an AP team and as an operations team, we're not just looking for the folks that we're going to go interview because we think they did something wrong. We're also looking for that, those folks that just need help, right? They need more training. Um, they need a better understanding of, of what they're doing and the why behind it and things like that. So um, it's kind of a, a twofold approach that way. And then we also have um, several analytical tools upstream that from a store perspective are able to tell us, which stores are at the highest risk, right? So whether that's um, from a shrink perspective, from a damages and unsalables perspective, from a profitability perspective, um, you know we have lots of great tools that lots of people smarter than I am uh, have put together over the years um, that really, you know, again allow us to know where do we point the car, what are we looking for, and what do we do when we find it. And it really is, um, you know, I think back a few years and we were, you know, really trying to predict. Um, specific numbers and and quantify risk and things like that. And we got all hung up in, you know, trying to land on the right number and get everybody to agree to the right number. At the end of the day, the number doesn't matter, right? If I have 20 stores in a district and these are my top three that I need to go do something with, then those are the top three I need to go do something with, regardless of what the number is that I'm chasing. So it was a little bit of kind of level setting priorities and, you know, working through some, some cultural gaps around what are we really trying to solve for and how do we do that most effectively.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. And you think about, you know, your kind of ascent to vice president, and I'm sure it matters a lot that you had the operational piece of that, right? Because the complexity of the breadth of stores that you have, I mean, it you can't just take one exception outlier to be like, oh, that is the thing, because in volume, everything gets skewed right? So talk a little bit about kind of how important it is, you know, from an operational perspective that you had that experience and understand that piece of the business coming at it from your perspective.
1: Yeah, so um, I would say a couple things there. Um, you know, I think in any organization, um, sometimes it's, it's kind of easy to put together, um, here's the vision and, and here's how it looks on a PowerPoint slide and show that in a meeting room. And then you kind of have how that flows down to. Um, the districts and the stores and and what reality looks like on the other end, right? And so what we think we're going to get isn't necessarily always what we are going to get. And so being able to kind of connect those dots on the front side and kind of work backwards from what's the objective, what are we trying to accomplish and then how do we go about doing that and kind of set it up that way from the beginning, um, I I think is helpful in terms of, um, again, translating the vision to the the reality. Um, But then besides that, you know, from a LPAP perspective, You know, as our regional AP managers are in stores and, and, you know, like most companies, we have our high-risk stores that folks spend some extra time in and things like that. You know, if we walk into a store um, with kind of tunnel vision about we're here to do an audit today and we walk by certain operational opportunities that that are there, we're kind of missing the boat, right? So the goal here is to, to make sure that the store is operating at the highest level possible all the time. And so what I like to say is that Shrink really isn't um, a thing by itself. Shrink is a symptom of operational excellence, good or bad. You very rarely walk into a well-run store that has a shrink problem, and you very rarely walk into a poorly run store that um, has good shrink, right? So they kind of go hand in hand. And so, you know, if we walk into a store in this operational opportunity, let's forget the audit for a second, start there. Solve what we need to solve in the moment, you know, whatever we can solve on our own. Take the right partners to solve what we can't and then put the, put the audit in its place. Maybe it's that day. Maybe we need to come back another day because we have bigger problems to solve today. Um, you know, and, and at the same time, you know, the, the audits that we do and the visits that we do are also a great opportunity to recognize folks for, um, for running really good stores. And we have lots and lots of, of stores across our fleet that, um, that are very well run and, you know, have really great store managers and, and things like that. So again, it's, you know, it's really an opportunity to go out and and recognize the good that's happening and how that drives good strength results.
0: Yeah, and you think about, you know, certainly uh, with this type of fleet, as you say, it's not a one man show, right? So if you think about, you know, just the the breadth and depth of a team that would have to manage, you know, 17,000 plus stores, what is that like? I mean, to kind of lead this hundred plus team, and I, I, and you think about, you know, all of the, it just cascades down, right? I mean, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time, right? I mean, but seriously, you know, what is that from, from where you sit, you know, in the corporate office as the VP, like, how does that, how does that work to manage such a large team?
1: Um, so it's actually easier than you might think. Um, so I have a great team of directors and regional AP managers um, that, that report to me and, You know, I would tell you that um, they are like none other when it comes to taking information that's available, um, identifying opportunities and and where the the best use of their time is, and then going out and and really, um, you know, trying to move the business forward from from all angles, right? And so whether that's through COVID, um, whether that's through staffing challenges, um, whether that's through um, weather and tropical storms and hurricanes and things like that. Um, the, the team that i have here today is just phenomenal in terms of adapting to the needs of the business um, and really um, doing what they need to do um, of their own initiative and of their own drive so i, I really can't thank them enough for, for making my job easy
0: so thinking about that and you know i think in this day and time everybody's always looking out for what's next as you probably well should be right that's what a career does you're kind of looking out for what's next so Talk to them. Talk talk to our folks. Kind of the the ones coming up the ranks that kind of aspire to be sitting in your chair. What do you look for when you're hiring, folks? Like whether it's in an interview or you have some special interview question. You know, people are like, "How?" I heard one guy say, "Oh yeah, we always ask everybody, how does a toilet work?" And I was like, "Okay, that's strange. I couldn't answer that, but uh, <laughs> you flush it and it works. Like done." But you know, I mean, what is it like as the VP and and how do you get involved in these types of hiring decisions and and what is it like?
1: Yeah. So I'm going to ask the toilet question next time to see if.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. See what you get. That's right.
1: That's right. Um, Yeah. So short answer is, yep, I sit through the the interview process or participate in the interview process. Um, And I think first and foremost, I'm looking for um, the drive and the energy and the um, the capacity to be able to um, to do great things, right? So the the specific skill set or the specific prior jobs listed on a resume, they play a little bit of a role, but I'm really looking for somebody who um, can take that as just the foundation and really have the ability to go well above and beyond that. So I, I, it kind of goes back to, um, you know, you, you hire for will and you can teach the skill. Um, and so I'm a I'm a big fan of that. Um, and I also look for folks that, um, you know, either have passed, um, call it diversity in career, or are open to that in the future, right? So um, there, there, there are some people, but, you know, not as many today, I think that, you know, always kind of ride the same rail throughout their career, right? They stay in one functional area and just kind of climb the ladder. Um, but I think that when you look at folks that kind of zig to zag, Um, and so in our world, maybe that's going from operations to LP, AP, back to operations to HR. I think there's a lot of value in kind of having that whole, um, broader business perspective on what are the things that drive my world and what are the things in my world that drive others' worlds. Um, so it really comes down to, again, the, the hire for will teach the skill, um, and then also kind of the, um. the openness to not being pigeonholed into a certain career path, but being being a willing and able to um, you know do other things that, that benefit the, the good of the business. So in personal lead as well over time.
0: Yeah, those are those are some really good um, points. I think it's so hard, though, when you're looking at your career and you want to and it. You're thinking some of these, and granted, I haven't been in a corporate organization like yours, I would never survive it, but but thinking about these lateral moves, I mean, are sometimes sidesteps from a salary perspective, and that's tough.
1: Yeah, it can be, right? And so I think it all depends upon what your objective is, right? If your objective is always to kind of make more money in the next step, I think you do that, but at some point you kind of reach a ceiling. Um, I think if, you know, when you're out to kind of grow your overall career, it starts with kind of growing your own skill set and your own experience. Um, And for folks that are willing to do that, I think it opens up a lot more doors in the long term um, than maybe kind of focusing on what the immediate next step will get you ultimately in the long run. So I think it's a long-term vision versus a short-term vision.
0: So did you know that or you had like a mentor that helped you along the way to say hey by the way you know this will help you because honestly i think some people they think they're doing it right because this is kind of a new thing right zig and zag and go over here and it's like back in the day it was like oh they're job jumping they have to be somewhere 10 15 years to know that they're stable right that's not even the case especially if you're talking about you know retail world as you're in right that's not um I would, how do you say, super Pollyanna, I mean, right, I mean, it's a little cutthroat. it just is, so, you know, you think about that, it, I mean, is that, how did it work for you, you had somebody saying, hey, by the way,
1: so, um, yes, I've had several people over the years say, hey, by the way, and sometimes it was good, and sometimes it wasn't so good, (laughs) Um, but I would say, personally, for me, um, I didn't, you know, so I'm typical retail career, right? I started out in retail at a very young age and, you know, now at an older age here, I still am. And I never thought that that would be the case, but it just is. Um, And so on the way, there were very few times where I kind of had the end game in mind. Um, I wasn't sure if I would end up in operations or merchandising or AP or or where it would be. I always looked at kind of the next opportunity as, um, is that going to be the next challenge? Is that going to be um broaden my um again business perspective my skill set um that kind of thing and so the the tail kind of wagged the dog here a little bit for me in 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 terms of kind of how i, I landed here
0: but you think about you know it's a lot of people listen to these whether they're in all types of levels and they look at you and they're like oh man vp of one of the largest retailers in the country which is nothing to sneeze at right I mean because you gotta have some staying power but more Okay, I don't know if it's more importantly, but importantly, you also need to know how to navigate the internal politics, because when you get to the level that you're at, it is not nice. (laughs) Like there's not a cushy kind of I've been here forever. I know John down the road. He's been here forever. You are, uh, you know, beholden to uh, the street people want to deal with it, what the earnings are with and it, it is a constant vice that you're in and I know that so how do you deal with that in internally making sure that people understand you have a plan and you have to work the plan to get there right I mean how do you how, what what advice would you give for those folks that are in the vice if you will
1: Sure. So there's kind of two things I've learned over the course of my career, thanks to several mentors who have, you know, again, pointed it out whether nicely or not nicely at times, but um, the the two things, and if I could go back in time and kind of tell my younger self, these things, it would be two things. Um, one is around, don't get hung up on principle. So when I was younger, I, you know, I was kind of a right fighter, right? Principle, the principle of the thing was important to me. And, you know, I wanted to get to the end because I thought it was the right thing to do. And so everybody should think that. And, you know, at times that kind of held me back um, from a specific, you know, trying to accomplish a specific thing, or it could have been a longer term goal. Um, And so I I had to learn over time that, you know, you kind of need to look at the greater good um, of what you're trying to accomplish and not necessarily get hung up in the principle of of one thing. I would say is, you know, things have a funny way of working out over time. Um, And so sometimes, even though the end game may seem very clear to me, um, and it seems like this is an obvious answer and this is what we should go do, it's not always that clear to other folks, right? And and it might just not be the right time, the right circumstance, whatever that is. And so, you know, if if you have something that you believe is the right thing to do, perseverance is key, right? And you kind of, maybe you tell the story a little bit different tomorrow than how you did today and kind of you know, work to get people on board with what that idea is, but being, being flexible is really important in being able to accept no for an answer and not necessarily take no for an answer, right? But you go back and kind of rework the approach and come back to, live, to fight another day, um, you know, I think is important um, as well as standing up for what you believe in, right? So in the right ways and at the right times, um, you know, again, if you think that something's the right thing to do, then you should follow that, you know, and, and kind of run it to ground. But again, be careful in the way that you do that and, and managing your, politi- your political capital in a way that um, that you that goal and that it's the right thing for the company, right? It can't can't become an individual goal that, you know this is a conquest kind of thing. It needs to be more of, you know, this is we're, we're trying to do this because it's the right thing for the company and let's get everybody to, to kind of that mindset however that needs to happen, whenever that needs to
0: happen. Yeah, whether it's reframing the conversation for them that's to understand, if it's not understand because they don't get it, but understand like I'm trying to help you increase sales, right? I mean, it's reframing right. that that piece of it.
1: Okay. Right. The other part of it too is timing, right? So, across a, a any organization, there's always going to be um, lots of competition for resources, for money, for um, you know, all kinds of things, and so there's a prioritization that needs to happen, right? And so. This may be an important thing, but it's not an important thing today relative to the other five things that are more important. Um, and so, again, it's kind of a timing thing of, you know, when, when is the right time to, to push push forward and, and when is it not?
0: Yeah, timing is, is critical. I think even in life, you know, when it, you learn as a kid, when you win the best time to ask your parents for something and it doesn't change as you get older, <laughs> right? And you're There's managing it. relationships within the workplace uh timing is critical so okay switching gears a little bit because i think that this is uh i don't know how you deal with this so i was always curious so the the hugeness of dg right probably brings every solution provider and their brother to the to your doorstep right i don't know how you even get through your day with probably all the emails that you get from people trying to sell you stuff so I try to do almost like a public service announcement here to help all the people in your position, but also our solution providers out there listening. If you wanna to talk to Ken, don't do these things, do these things. Like what are the most annoying things that you get?
1: So the most annoying thing I get is the email from somebody who says my boss wants to set up a time to talk to you, right? Cause if it's that important, they'd be calling themselves. That's the most annoying thing to me. Um, but I tell you what, But so that aside, um, you know, I'll talk to almost any solution provider out there. Um, and whether that's off the cuff at a trade show or via email or a phone call, um, you know, I'm happy to do that. I have lots of capable folks um, in my organization that also do that on a regular basis. Um, but, uh, but I do get the occasional reach out to, to myself directly. Um, and so here's what it comes down to is, like you said, there's, there's a sea of emails and there's a sea of folks out there that that want to talk. What stands out, right? What makes this different? Um, What makes this um, applicable to my specific business model? And kind of what's the business case behind it based upon um, where it's already been done and where it's already been successful. Um, And so um, that's kind of the quickest way, you know, to, to kind of get in the door. The other thing I would say is that, and this is going to sound a little bit opposite of what I just said, sometimes things are weird um, and they're different and they're a good idea. And they, maybe they just haven't been proven out yet. Um, And so we're a pretty large company um, and we, we love to be innovative and and test and learn. Right. So um, you know, if there's something out there that we think has legs that, that just needs to be proven out, um, you know, I'm always open to having that, that discussion and seeing, you know, what makes sense and try it out in a couple stores and, and see where we go from there. Um, but no, I would tell you that, um, you know, again, kind of standing out for whatever reason that is, if you have a proven solution that's, you know, let's cut to the chase and hear the hard dollars. Perfect. If you have something that's a little different that is applicable to us, let's talk.
0: Yeah, that's, I think that's a great point too. You think about business case and, but also, hey, it might be whacked. I mean, you might be coming up with something that no one's ever even heard of, but it's perfect for my challenges, right? I mean, I think too, it's it's understanding what you guys do, right? I mean, don't you, it's not smart to come to you to say, tell me your challenges and I've got what you need, right? I mean, shouldn't they know what you're dealing with? If you can't find a Dollar General to go in, before you give Ken a call, you're an idiot, right?
1: <laughs> that's one of the first questions is, when was the last time you were in a, in a store, right? And yeah, uh, you'd be amazed. Some some of the answers are pretty far out
0: there. Is it immediate write-off? Like if I was you, it would be an immediate write-off
1: to yeah. me. Yeah, pretty much, right? Pretty much. You're, you're <laughs> definitely playing from behind at that point.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that's true. That's so true. Um, okay, so... Let's see. I know I gave you this list of questions that I haven't asked any of them. I mean, maybe one of them. (laughs) Okay, so this is I always like this because it kind of you kind of get a um, a take on a person's like personality, right? When you're talking about leadership advice, or you know, kind of stepping back and being like, if you had to name some things that have been in your career that have really stood out to be like, you know what, that was a leadership lesson that I really have taken with me along the career right and it may be you know you've we've heard books and quotes and all kinds of stuff um but curious like if you have one or two things that you're like i live by this and it served me well
1: that's a great question and it wasn't on the list so you caught me by surprise no
0: wasn't it uh-oh i thought <laughs> that one out
1: <laughs> um so i think yeah, so here's the, here's the one I'm going to go with. Um, you know, again, DG, large company, 17,000 stores, 150,000 plus people. Um, it would be really easy to kind of get caught up in the numbers and, you know, everything's a stat and, and that kind of thing. Um, I think one of the things that's really important is that behind or within, you know, all, all good organizations, there's great people that make those things run. Um, And so, you know, whether it's a multiple store issue or it's a one store issue that that there's a phone call about, right, store manager calls and says, I need help. We need to help that store manager, right, because they're a person behind the scenes that that makes all this stuff tick and makes it all work. Um, And so kind of never forgetting the fact that this is a people driven business. um, And we're all in this in this business because of the folks that work in our stores. Um, and the customers that shop in our stores so making things the best they can be and making things right for each individual employee each individual customer whatever we can do that um, i think is is paramount to um, really kind of overall leadership and, and that works um, you know within our own our own organizations as well um, to make sure that you know that again I have lots of folks out there that do a really really good job every day and sometimes it's um, it's easy to forget that and it's easy to overlook that so really going out of your way to make sure that Everybody feels like um, they're part of the team, um, I think is a really big deal. So the again, people driven businesses and it's important that we kind of keep that in mind.
0: Yeah. I mean, if there's any problem, it begins with people, you know, I always hate it when people say, well, it's not personal, it's business. And I'm like, well, if it's not anything, it's personal, you know, because we spend the majority of our lives doing this, right? So if it, so we don't do it just, I mean, it is people problems, it all starts with that. Right. So I'm always thinking about the EQ part of it, you know, I mean, and, and even a a big company like DG, you find opportunities to, uh, you know, like connect with the people, what makes them believe in what you're doing.
1: Yeah. And so I think that's really important too, is, you know, as we're out on store visits and things like that, Um, you know, on conference calls and Zoom meetings and Teams meetings, it, um, you know, it it can be easy for things to become very transactional. Um, You know, I'm going to go through my agenda. When I'm done with the agenda, the call's over. Well, you know, all the folks on that call or at that store visit and and all those different interactions we have, all of those folks have a story, right? And they they spend, you know, a lot of hours a week at, at working for Dollar General, but at the same time, they spend a lot of hours a week at home with, their families and, you know, children and significant others and, you know, they have favorite activities and they have hobbies and, and things like that. And so I think connecting with folks on a personal personal level, to you know, to the right extent, uh, and being able to not only understand a little bit about their own life, but also share about yours, right? Sometimes it's easy for us to go out and ask questions about, you know, um, you know, hey, what do you like to do on the weekends and things like that? And then not necessarily share what we like. So I think it's important to kind of have that be a two way conversation. And at the end of the day, you know, we're all people, right? We all kind of have our work lives and our, our own lives. Um, and re- remembering that, and that there's, you know, there needs to be a little bit of separation there sometimes, but also a little bit of overlap in terms of, um, you know, again, understanding where everybody's at and, and that kind of thing is, is really important. So um, I try to make an effort to, um, to not only understand the the professional side or the business side of the people that I interact with, but also their personal side as well.
0: Yeah, and I think one of the things that 2020 and and the last year or so has really brought to the forefront too is everything that's gone, gone on and the country has shown a new level of the diversity and inclusion is a competitive advantage, but it starts with human connection for people to understand their story. Like you said, everyone has a story. And when you start to understand each other's story, that's when you start people become people and they're no longer, uh, you know, this or that or whatever, right? I don't wanna say a word because God forbid I get canceled on my own podcast, but I'm just saying, you know what I mean? I mean, I think that that's what is so cool about everything that this country and, and us as humans have been through is that it actually truly does start with the human story. So that's a phenomenal point. Um, okay, so, so
1: go ahead. I think the other thing too, Amber, and you talk about 2020 and how life is different today than, uh, than before, you know, a year and a half ago, Zoom calls and Teams meetings and things like that weren't really a thing, right? We were on old school conference calls and, you know, we were pulling people in to do in-person trainings and meetings and things like that. Um, I think, you know, there's, there's some good that's going to come out of the whole 2020 experience. Um, and again, I think this virtual world is a, a big part of that because, you know, before you're on a conference call with a bunch of people, you can't see them, you can't interact with them, you can't see facial expressions, you can't smile, you know, all those kinds of things. I think in today's world, it changes that whole interaction. It feels a little bit more personal um, where you can, you know, see people and, and you know, interact better with folks that maybe you know, hundreds of miles away. Um, in the the same breath, I think from a efficiency and effectiveness standpoint, we're going to end up um, being very successful and being much more set up um, to be successful as we come out of 2020. So again, when you think about, you know, before COVID, we would pull people into meetings, you know, and spend a day traveling, you spend two days in a meeting, you spend a day traveling home, took up your whole week, right? Now we can do that same meeting in half a day or a day via Teams, from your living room and your bunny slippers and you know you don't need to spend all that time and expense kind of going back and forth, yet get to the same place. So I think there will be, um, and also it's a way to be able to touch folks that you've not been able to touch before. So for example, I think about using technology to be able to do virtual store visits and things like that, that before somebody had to get in a car and drive, right? In, in today's world and tomorrow's world, that's not necessarily the case anymore. So. Um, I think that there's there's a lot of good that will come out of that as long as we remember to balance. Virtual is cool most of the time, but sometimes it's always good to to get together in person. Yeah,
0: you got to be in person like Apex Grocery that you're speaking at in September, which we are stoked about. But okay, one last question. And it wasn't on the sheet again. Sorry, (laughs) but okay. But looking at, you know, your business mind and, you know, the as, a, as big as DG is, you guys clearly have some resources, right, whether they're internally built or whatever, but looking at the future, right, thinking about the future of retail and things that you say, hey, this isn't DG talking, it's Ken Pressure. These are my views and thoughts on people in asset protection need to be thinking about these things, Um and I'm sure, you know, this time last year, nobody would have said, be thinking of a global pandemic and what we're gonna do with that. But you know, I'm just I'm wondering that you're where you sit at, at such a you know kind of vast view of retail, what are what are they saying? What's anyone saying? What are you hearing that you know our industry could benefit from talking about the future?
1: Yeah, so I think when you think about retail in general, it's an ever-changing landscape, right? And especially coming out of COVID, um, you know, we've gone through the peaks and valleys of in-store shopping experience, balanced with buy online, pick up in-store, balanced with, you know, online ordering. You know, there's, there's multiple vehicles now that the consumer can get what they need to get. And I think COVID really just kind of accelerated that. But, you know, as you think forward to store of the future, retail of the future, there are lots of things in there that at face value are scary for LPAP folks out there, right? And there's a lot of um, new risks, some known, some unknown. And there's a lot of kind of figuring out some of this as we go along. And some of it is just due to scale, right? How many folks out there are doing certain things to what extent, how is that like what, you know, another company is wanting to do, things like that. So I think it would be easy for us to, you know, go into this with a mindset of, um, this approach is bad news for AP, so I'm going to try to kill this. Well, that's not going to get very far, right? Because retail is going to move and do whatever retail is going to do. Um, and so from an AP perspective, my approach is really, okay, If, if you know, whatever the business wants to do, we're going to help with furthering that mission. And we're going to figure out what do we need to do to minimize risk wherever we can and make this as successful as we possibly can. So it becomes less of a question of, should we or shouldn't we, but more of a question of how are we gonna do this? Um, And I think that, um, you know, we talked earlier a little bit about the political landscape. Um, I think that goes a long way in terms of kind of keeping you involved in, or keeping AP professionals involved in that discussion um, versus kind of getting pushed to the side because you're the the negative Nancy in the room. Um, So I do think it's important that, you know, again, APLP, recognizes that the business is moving forward. It's not gonna stop, it's not gonna slow down. Um, and, and we need, need to just kind of roll with it and figure out the best way to, to go about doing things for the companies.
0: Yeah, that's, that's super important. We heard so many things, right? Um, when asked this question about future planning, right? And a lot of people have said too, like if you look at a pandemic and then you're like, oh, I'm so glad we got through that, phew. And then you don't look back and analyze what could have been better things that you know to give them your mask vendor on speed dial i don't know right i mean it's it's a really interesting thing to to make sure your strategy of of coming to the c suite with the how can attitude you know is backed up with we learned and and yeah and and here's here's our contingency plan a through z because we need more hand sanitizer and toilet paper than we ever dreamt possible right
1: that's right Yeah, I think there were lots of things that happened over the last year or so that um, folks thought that they were prepared for in some way, shape or form, um, and then realized that, you know, they really had no idea how how things were going to go down and what they were really going to mean. So I think back to, um, you know, last February, March, April, when COVID really cranked up um, and things went crazy for everybody. Right. Then we moved into the summer months and some of the civil unrest, um, you know, came up and that just complicated things. And there was a point in the fall where I was talking to somebody and it was like, hey, whatever happened to the good old days of COVID? Like that was easy when we had just COVID. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) man. You never would have thought we'd say that, right?
0: (laughs) No, no. That's terrible. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate this look under the covers there at your perspective at DG and and being the VP there, Ken. We really appreciate you taking a turn in the hot seat on Talk LP podcast. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. All
0: right, guys. Thanks for listening. Make sure you tweet us at Let's Talk LP. Also, download the new Talk LP news app for all the latest breaking news headlines and loss prevention. Thanks, guys. We'll talk at you later.